Welcome back to Dice Against Isolation to episode three. And this is about calibrating expectations. Now, the things we're talking about in this one, they are also a session zero kind of a thing. This is stuff that you want to be talking about before the game. Uh, what gets people excited, what people want, what they're into. People have very differing ideas about what they want out of a game, about why they're playing. So, for example, my usual base assumption is that I'm playing these games to have fun, to tell a good story. So the game inevitably warps around those two aims. Others may be playing because they want to stay in touch, because they want to examine an issue through fiction, because they want to stretch their problem-solving muscles, or whatever. Everyone interacts with games differently. So the key thing to calibrating expectations is to try as hard as possible to make sure that everyone's on the same page about how you'll be interacting with this game. Honestly, I would suggest getting them to listen to this or to read the transcript and use that as a jumping off point for the conversation. So some people want complex storytelling with intricate arcs. Others may want an open world or a clear path through an uncomplicated scenario. Some people want to face moral dilemmas. Other people want clear right and wrong, or they want complete amorality. Um, some people want a chance at heroism. Some people want to be gritty and realistic. Some people want to be afraid. Um, there's questions of problem solving, the approach to that, whether catharsis is part of the aims or not, whether this is in fact an escapist game or not. And there is a good tool for dealing with some of this, which is the same page tool, which is linked in the resources. And that is set up more like a question and answer sheet that you kind of fill in together. It's not there to help you reconcile expectations. It just lets you know what the other people around your table are thinking. So it'll help to determine starting expectations for tricky things like player versus player, the role of GMs and players in pushing the stories forward, uh, what kind of characters make sense in the game, what winning and losing might mean, and so on. I don't have time to go deep into all of those things, um, but the post on Deeper in the Game does such a good job of doing that. So I'm just highlighting it because people do have very different play styles, so it's worth looking at. And before we go any further, I'm going to give you an example of a game that I played years ago, and it's going to sound like this was a train wreck. It really wasn't. These are all good friends of mine who I love. But I was in a game a few years ago where everyone else was playing like a fun, coming-of-age, zany adventure. I'd somehow managed to get on the wrong side of things, get a bit mixed up, played my character's psychological responses straight, ended up in psychological horror, which was non-ideal for everybody involved. Uh, sorry. So you maybe want to be avoiding that kind of thing. But the conversation can in many ways take the form of what people enjoy about games, although do be aware that new players may not know, and even experienced players may only have experienced certain types of games. I wouldn't expect somebody who's only played D&D to know what they want in Firebrands, for example. But it's not just your players' ideas and your own ideas that are going to matter in this discussion, because the system also has ideas about what the game is like, about what it does, what it is, what a player character is, what a story is inside it. You may not have picked your system yet, but regardless, it is something to pay attention to. Because if you have picked it, you need to make sure that the group understands the system's expectations. And if you haven't, you want to be making sure, as far as you can, that your group doesn't have to fight the system to play the kind of game they want. So a few examples. Dungeons & Dragons does expect you to fight and kill things. That's not the only way you interact with the world, but fighting and having enemies is a key part of it. Blades in the Dark assumes that the player characters are underdogs. 
it gives mechanical weight to the state and street level forces arrayed against them. And that means that it can get quite grim quite quickly. It is fundamentally a game about power and about not really having it. Um, there's also a lot of OSR games that expect player characters to be short-lived and disposable. And that can cause problems if you've got players like me who become very attached to a player character very quickly. On that note, one thing to note is that in modern games, particularly fantasy ones, particularly ones where the roots stretch a long way back, there's a bit of a fundamental conflict between player character exceptionalism, you're a special person who is very talented, probably has an interesting backstory, the GM's weaving the story and the game world around you, and player character mortality. And that's the fact that the dice can just kill you, regardless of the narrative weight of the moment, even if you're the arch buffoon of the barbaric order of plop. Dungeon World was the game I struggled with this on the most because player characters were quite squishy and the death move was a 50-50 chance. Um, so it is good to think about how you might handle player character death quite early on because it will often come up in quite unexpected ways. Another little rules and players hiccup I'd like to mention is PvP, player versus player. I'll talk more about that later on, but for now, be aware that some systems support player versus player conflict Others don't, and while some players are fine with it, many are not. If you're expecting it to be an aspect of your game, be upfront with your players and make sure that they are balanced against each other. So when you're setting up a game, you'll want to pay attention to the mode that you're running it in. And I'm using that term to encompass everything we've talked about so far, as well as tone, genre, setting, theme. In general, you'll be looking at if you have a preferred mode to run the game in, um, so if you're trying to run zany fun when all your heart cries out for is spooky existential horror, that's going to impact your own enjoyment. And like I say, you have to safeguard that. You'll be looking at what modes your players are interested in. And if, if you've got a system planned, what expectations does that encode? And if not, can you find a system that will support what your group is trying to do? So those are the three key places expectations will be coming from. And I'm going to move on to the more literary stuff now, starting with tone, which is quite a key thing to be in thinking about because it's about attitude. It's about how you and your group at large is meant to feel about the events in the game world. Is it quite wacky, quite lighthearted? The consequences are played for comedy or melodrama as opposed to drama or tragedy. Or is this something that's quite serious or realistic, something where things can or do get dire? And so for an example, I'm going to talk about spooky, scary skeleton player characters. I have run Adventure Skeletons, which is a one-page RPG by the creator of Honey Heist, Grant Howard. There was some quite heavy content in that. You know, there was a dead cat. There was loads of body horror. There was a cult that was murdering people. But the tone was always wacky. Everything was just played for laughs. Meanwhile, I had a skeleton player in my cyberpunk fantasy game, and that played very seriously. There was real horror in that narrative, as well as wonder and grandeur. We did make jokes about him, but he was, at base, a serious character. Then there's genre. And now, genre is about what particular narrative and setting conventions are present. And I'm sure we all know our genres, but I'm just going to think about games I've played this year. I played Dungeons & Dragons, which is fantasy. I've seen the term Albert fantasy kicked around about it because it doesn't really follow the conventions of a lot of published fantasy. Um, like if you want to play Earthsea, for example, D&D probably isn't your game um, since it does expect parties of exceptional people essentially heisting dungeons. But then I've also played Lancer, which is a science fiction game about pilots and giant mechs, um, which expect you to interact with the world through using giant mechs to fight. 
Setting is influenced by genre, but it can differ. One of the weekend games I ran took players on a tour of several different settings within the post-apocalyptic genre. Um, there was a Mad Max-style wasteland, there was a frozen-over tundra, a ruined, bombed-out city, and so on. Although that did also have psychic powers and void trains in it, so the genre was a little bit of a mess. But in each one, the idea was that they'd very quickly have to adapt to the expectations of their new world to survive. And then there's theme. Theme is an idea repeatedly highlighted in a work. So my longest running campaign repeatedly highlights imperialism and the environment, along with hats. Hats are important. A lot of systems will encode the theme into the system. So Chronicles of Darkness is very good at this. Like, I am a great fan of the way Werewolf the Forsaken encodes its themes. So some key questions that I would urge you to consider alongside the questions raised in the same page tool. Firstly, how serious is the tone? Secondly, how do player characters relate to power? That is social power, are they underdogs or not? And also mechanically, are they high-powered or are they low-powered? I separate characters I've played into four different tiers of power, where tier 4 is a normal human with no powers, maybe they have a sword, and tier 1 is essentially a demigod. Um, knowing where your player characters fit on that scale is very useful. And then also, how beholden are we to both the rules of reality and the rules of the game? Are we willing to use the rule of cool over either of these things, and if so, which one? I personally approach rules in games as more like guidelines. I know them, I've read them, I respect them, but at the end of the day, if they are getting in the way of the story I want to tell and my players are having fun, I will jettison them out of the window. Some people really hate doing that though, and that is also valid. On the subject of the games themselves, a good tool for sharing at least some of what's going on is the idea of a GM agenda. These most often crop up in PBTA games powered by the apocalypse, which explicitly have those agendas, but I tend to come up with them for every game I run. To give an example, the one from Dungeon World gives us three rules. These are not guidelines, they lie at the heart of everything the game is, and they are to portray a fantastic world, to fill the characters' lives with adventure, and to play to find out what happens. And that very succinctly says quite a lot of things. First off, this is fantasy. Things are strange. They're fantastic. Never settle for the mundane when you could get weird. Secondly, the characters are in the thick of that. The trouble comes to them. Thirdly, things are not pre-planned in Dungeon World. The players must instigate things. Everything is very reactive, and the GM must be open to the demands of the emergent story. Narrative stuff aside, there's also practical considerations and expectations to calibrate. Most obvious, how long are the sessions going to be? In person, I tend to play for four to five hours. Other people think that that is an absurdly long amount of time, um, but I will say that I tend to run online games shorter. It may not work like that for you, you will have to experiment and find out. But also, how long is this game going to go on? Is it going to be weekly sessions for three weeks? Is it going to be indefinite? Is it going to be, we're initially planning for a year and then we'll see what happens? Is it a few months maybe? And that helps you and the rest of the group figure out how the game fits into your lives, as well as sort out your character and story ideas to fit the timescale. Um, I'll talk a lot more about timing issues later on in this podcast, but it is just a thing to mention up front. There's also the constraint of the digital tabletop. You'll want to find out what page people are on regarding blocking off time and making sure they can make it to the session, because um, a digital game is both very easy to attend and very easy to duck out of. So there may well be some difficult conversations around when people need to know who can't make it, what things take priority over the game, 
and what long-term patchiness means for the group dynamic. These things are hard, especially in the current context, so be gentle. And you need to be aware that more distractions are likely to arise. An online game isn't as all-consuming as an in-person one. It's a balancing act, because a lot of people do genuinely need to be doing something else at the same time. I'm in that boat myself, to be honest. But at the same time, there are certain levels of distraction that can be really disruptive to the game, either for other players or for you. Like, I wish I'd told the player who used to read a book in in in-person games to find something else, but that was a really tough year for me, and I kind of have to forgive myself for how I was doing at the time. You'll also find that things probably go a bit slower digitally than they would in face-to-face sessions. That's not cut and dried, but it is the experience that I have. That's for two reasons. Firstly, I play for less time. My attention span can't handle longer sessions online. And secondly, setting things up is less spontaneous. Uh, Maps take longer to do on Roll20, and you're more likely to have technical issues that might mean that you have to take time out to figure them out. And that does mean that people do need to be aware that they need to be on it with regards to troubleshooting their tech. We'll talk a bit more about technical issues in the next episode, but it's just a note for now. The note I'm going to end on, though, is that it's important you folks make space for each other. All these conversations rely on respecting each other's perspectives. It's a discussion about what gets people excited and what their interest is in. But throughout it, remember that you're a group. And as a group, you need to be getting excited for each other as well, looking to understand one another's viewpoints and each other's interests and looking for ways to meet in the middle and make things work. As always, it's a conversation that needs to be approached with compassion. There's no wrong way to approach a game short of malice, but there are plenty of ways that may not suit the game or the group. They're not wrong. You just might have to do some work as a group to integrate them or to take care of each other if it does not work out. And as always, if these discussions don't go well, or if they feel awkward, that's okay. We can only do our best. But hopefully, the discussion goes well and is fun, and you end up with a stronger foundation to base your game on. Um, So next time, we'll come back and talk about the practicalities, so I'll see you then. Dice Against Isolation by Kess Beacon in 2020. I use they, them pronouns. To ask questions, access transcripts, or find more of my work, go to diceagainstisolation.tumblr.com. If you'd like to support what I do, you can drop me a coffee on ko-fi.com slash kessbeacon, but please consider donating to a local food bank either instead or additionally.